0: Okay, so yeah, I don't know about y'all, but I'm just really feeling God's presence here this morning. Um, (laughs) So a couple of weeks ago, we were at staff meeting. um, It was my first one back. As some of you know, I've been on maternity leave. I have returned. Um, And at one point, Justin says to Matt, like, do you have anyone scheduled to preach in a couple weeks? And Matt just laughs, (laughs) no. (laughs) And before I know what's happening, I hear myself say, I'll do it. And inside I'm going, what are you talking about? (laughs) You crazy girl. So there I was. I volunteered. And um, when I was given the passage uh, to go over today, we're going to go over um, Exodus 5. And later I read it and I was like, oh, okay, God. Like, it makes sense. So, I don't know. I just have quite a piece about this, so hopefully it'll be good. Um, But before we get started, I am going to go ahead and um, open us in a word of prayer. So, if you will pray with me. Holy God, Lord. Lord, not my words, but yours be spoken here today, God. We pray for your presence to be with us, God. Open our hearts to receive the message that you have for us, God. Let our minds be cleared of all the distractions, God, as we just dig into this passage today, Lord, and pray this in your son's holy name, in the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, so before we dig into five, we have some little backup work to do. So last week, Matt was talking about the burning bush, um, and I'm going to pick up First, at the end of chapter 3 a little bit, um, because it kind of sets the stage for what we're going to see in chapter 5. So I'm going to read verses 16 through 20, and I don't know if Kimberly has figured, Oh, you're wonderful. She's the best. Okay, so um, let's get started. So um, this is God speaking. He says, Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have, has, have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. Okay. So this is the mission that Moses is given, and I think it's really interesting. Um, It's not you know, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go and and I'm going to free you. It actually starts with, go gather the people and tell them to worship. God has come, and worship is the response. Um, This comes first. So why is this important? Well, this is a people that have forgotten God, um, and they've forgotten themselves as people of God worship is the response here because worship is what recenters and reorients them the other thing is um, before god can like move them out you know he's got to move them he's got to move them around him um, god moves with his people they have to be gathered around him before he can kind of move them out and and we see this idea of God moving with the people really get solidified later in exodus with the um, the building of the tabernacle where there's an actual house where they carry God with them so it's a really important point for them to to come and and to worship first so in the next chapter, um, I'm just going to kind of briefly go over it. we won't read all of it, um, but we have essentially Moses. Moses' response um, to God. God's like, all right, here's your mission. Here's what you're going to do. And the first thing Moses says is, well, what if they don't believe me? So God gives him three signs and says, all right, here, show these three miraculous signs to the Israelites, and then they'll know that I am who I say I am. So then in chapter 10, I am going to read this, Moses says, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. But Moses said, O Lord, please send someone else to do it. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. So Moses is like, what if they don't believe me? God's like, all right, cool, here's three signs. You're good. And then Moses is like, please, God, no, I can't speak very well. And God is like, listen, I'll speak for you. I'm God. I've got you, right? And then Moses is like, God, please, just send someone else. And then God's like, okay, fine. And sets him up where Aaron can speak for him. So um, that's the Allison's Cliff Note version of this part. So it's really interesting to me here when we look closely at what's happening um, as Moses is given this mission. The first thing that happens is Moses is like, yeah, I can't do that. I think we can kind of identify with that a little bit when God calls us. Um, But what we see here is that really how merciful God is. When God calls Moses, I think, you know, he ends it in chapter 3, and is like, all right, and this is what you're going to do. And he has full faith that Moses can do it. But Moses comes back at him like, well, but what if they don't believe me? Well, I can't really speak. God, I don't want to do it. <laughs> and each step of the way, instead of God just being like, no, you can, God's like, okay, I'll, send, I'll give you these signs, right? Okay, I'll help you speak. Better yet, I'll have someone speak for you. And I just think it's just a really great vision of God's mercy here if we look closely at it. God sometimes calls us to difficult tasks. He has faith in us. We may not have faith in ourselves. But he also has mercy for us. He prepares the way. He sends the help. We are not left alone, even in our doubts. So the second half of chapter 4 has Moses going to the Israelites first, as he was told, and, and sharing the gospel, with, or sharing, not the gospel, kind of the gospel, sharing what God said with them. Um, and we're going to skip kind of that for now. There's a lot of interesting things in there that Matt will touch on later. But we're going to go ahead and look at chapter 5 start with the first five verses afterwards Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh remember that's the second part go to the Israelites and gather them and then go to Pharaoh and he said this is what the Lord the God of Israel says let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert Pharaoh said who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go I do not know the Lord, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, they as in Aaron and Moses, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or that he may strike us with plagues or with a sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Go back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. Okay. So um, first I want to touch a little bit on verse 3 here, uh, where it says um, that he may strike us with plagues or with sword. And I just want to kind of address that there is... um, that this is a recording of a time and a certain understanding of God from a time. And there is some of that that gets kind of lost in translation. And to us, with our modern understanding of God, we have a difficult time understanding, like, why? Um, But that's why I really wanted to draw attention to the themes of God's mercy that we see, um, to remind us that this isn't some distant Old New Testament God that, or Old Testament God, that we... Like, don't know. It is the same God, the great I am, who is merciful and with us and is redeeming us. The other thing about this, um, <laughs> the first thing I thought when I read it was you know, this is kind of like if you go to your employer and say, oh, I'm of such and such religion, which he's never heard of, and I need this day off because it's a religious holiday. Of course, he's going to be like, uh, no, you can't do that. I don't know what that is. That's basically what this is. Pharaoh has no idea what he's talking about. The Israelites haven't had a god, don't have a religion. But more than that, they're not supposed to. And what we see kind of in this last little bit in 4 and 5 is that there's a great cost to Pharaoh here. The Hebrews are an important part of the the system that Egypt is operating under. Um, They they're at the bottom level doing a lot of the work, and if they disappear for three days, it's like this system isn't going to work anymore. And so that's, you know, why he's like, uh, no, you can't do that. So let's read on. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and foremen in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. This is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the men so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the foremen went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather, stumble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, complete the work required of you for each day, just as you had when you'd had straw. The Israelite foreman, appointed by Pharaoh's slave drivers, were beaten and were asked, Why didn't you meet your quota of bricks yesterday, or today, or as before? Then the Israelite foreman went to appeal to Pharaoh. Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, and yet we are told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy. That's what you are, lazy. That's why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, Yes, you m- yet you must produce the full quota of bricks. Pause here. So this seems really harsh. <laughs> um, but Pharaoh's message is kind of clear here, right? Your faith and your God are not important, right? They don't fit into this system here. You will work. And part of that is that he doesn't want them unifying, under something. They are slaves to Egypt. Pharaoh is meant to be their God. That's how this system works. So if they're to go and leave and worship, like I said, the whole system kind of falls apart for Pharaoh. So I want to be careful how I proceed with what I'm about to say. So, God help me here. There are systems in our lives as well that shape and organize our world. We're not slaves to them by force, like the Egyptians were to this system, but they do hold a certain power over us and our choices. And as I said before, when talking about worship, worship reorients us. It changes how we participate in those systems. So if the Hebrews began to worship and align themselves under their own God, they would serve him first, not Pharaoh This is in conflict with the system in place um, and is why Pharaoh's response is so harsh here. It's not a simple request that Moses is making. It's actually really threatening to his way of life. And so that's why he comes down and he doesn't just deny them but punishes them for even making the request. I think it can be threatening to us as well when worship changes us. We're comfortable with our systems and with the way that our world is organized, let's be honest. And sometimes our faith calls us to subvert those systems and our worship calls us to change our behavior. Now, I'm not standing here telling you that being Christian means overturning governments or starting a revolution, please don't hear that. (laughs) But what I am saying is this. Worship is not a passive act. It's the reorientation of your whole world with God at the center. And so it will change how you live. So let's take a look at kind of how this ends for, for Moses here in this chapter. In verse 19. The Israelite foremen realized they were in trouble when they were told, You are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, May the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak your name, he has brought trouble upon his people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Super cheery, guys. I imagine this hits kind of close to home for some of you. Because the truth is, following Jesus is is not always easy. And some of you might have had moments where you're like, okay, God, so, you know, like, I love you, I'm following you, I'm serving you, and nothing is falling into place here for me. Nothing is changing. What is this about? And I think why we have such a problem when we encounter that in our lives or when things we're like serving, loving God, and doing everything right, and things don't go our way, it has to do with kind of the lies of our culture, right? We're kind of built around this idea of the American dream, like you work hard, you get yours, Um, and that has bled into our faith in a very toxic way um, with something called the prosperity gospel, which some of you might be aware of. Basically, it's that notion that if you have faith enough, and you trust enough, and you, you do, do right by God enough, that you'll get your reward. In this life, In this life yeah. Um, but that's not at all what we are promised, and um, as we can see how things end here, that's not the story. See, the Exodus story is a story of God's redemption and mercy, Absolutely. But it's also a story of suffering, and it's not just before God came, and it's not just in this moment. As we continue on this book, the suffering for these people continues on and on, even as God is working on their behalf, and even as God is redeeming them. And it's the same story that we are invited to participate in. The story taking place all through scripture of God's redemption, all the way up to the story of Christ but there's suffering in that story as well that's the reality that we must wrestle with in this chapter and indeed in our faith so with that this morning you are invited to participate in that reality as we continue to worship in the act of communion um, So, as Jesus is gathered in in this room, right, on this night, you've heard the story, he takes the bread and breaks it and says, take, eat, this is my body, broken for you. And then he takes the cup and says, drink of this, this is my blood, poured out for you. And I imagine there were just a few in the room who were sitting there and thinking, What sort of crazy cult have I got caught up in? He's talking about eating him and drinking him? I'm pretty sure that's cannibalism. But the truth and the reality of this is what Jesus is inviting us into and inviting his followers here is to participate in his suffering. Eat my broken body. Drink my poured-out blood. And in doing so, experience... The redemption of God. I didn't think I was going to do this, but I've decided I'm going to. Um, wrong one. That's the mic. So I want to share a quote with you before you come up and receive this. Something for you to think about. Kind of going back to what I was saying about the prosperity gospel and the American dream. Um, I'm actually, this is one of the reasons when I got this chapter, it was just so, yes, God. Um, I'm reading right now a book by Kate Bowler, who is <laughs> Bowler, sorry, Kate Bowler, who is a professor at Duke, um, who spent her life studying the prosperity gospel, and then at the age of 34 finds out she has incurable cancer, and so she's written this wonderful book um, in the midst of that um, called Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. Very good. Highly recommend. Um, But I want to read for you this quote for you to think about as you come up to receive communion today. She writes, Fairness is one of the most compelling claims of the American dream. A vision of success propelled by hard work, determination, and maybe the occasional pair of bootstraps. What would it mean for Christians to give up that little piece of the American dream that says, You are limitless everything is not possible the mighty kingdom of God is not here yet what if rich did not have to mean wealthy and whole did not have to mean healed what if being the people of the gospel meant that we are simply people with good news God is here we are loved it is enough So if you will come up this morning, we will have Allison and Christian offering communion. And if you are in need of someone to pray with this morning, um, we will have Gabby and Tim and myself over on this side.